Amen. Good morning. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Um, anybody ever have a bad day? Is that just me? Who was here, who, show of hands, who was here about five years ago? Who's been going to Grace Church for over five years? Not very many of us. Okay, I thought I could get away with telling this story again. I told this story about five years ago. And uh, husbands, you'll thank me later because I'm about to make you look good because your wife's going to go home and be like, I'm glad I didn't marry John Wilson. <laughs> uh, it was a bad day, y'all. And I was going home, and I get to the house, and I notice a car in the driveway. And, and, and you know what happens when you have bad days? It puts you in a bad attitude. And when you're in a bad attitude, it just reveals more of that selfish I, me, inside of me comes out, and, it's, and it's, it's, it's my way. And I come home, and I see this car in the driveway, and I just want peace and quiet. And it's my sister-in-law's car. Now, it's not Becky, my sister-in-law, my favorite sister-in-law. <laughs> it's the other sister-in-law that I hope is not watching the live stream. <laughs> and I come, in, I come into the house, and she's in my chair, y'all. And then I look over and I ask Sarah, what's for dinner? And, and I kid you not, she says, gluten-free meatloaf. <laughs> now, when we got married, I told her the, the thing that I hate the most to eat on this planet is meatloaf. So I can't imagine what gluten-free meatloaf tastes like. <laughs> and so I didn't say a word, okay? I didn't say a word. So that's why I thought I didn't really do anything wrong. I didn't say a word. I just go and get my wallet and my keys, and I just shut the door, and I leave. I, and I went to Subway because I wanted it my way. And so I get a sub, and I, I'm coming back, and I'm already starting to eat it because I'm like, I'm not going to eat that meatloaf. And uh, she, Sarah's pregnant with Evelyn, y'all, and she meets me in the driveway. And I'm, I got like a mouthful of sub, and you could see the look on her face like, you... Yeah, and I mouthful of stuff. What did I do? You know, because that's how we are. Sometimes we have no no idea our part in the problem. But when we have bad days, it puts us in a bad attitude, and then we we say things we shouldn't say. We take it out on those that that we love. It affects our attitude. It it brings out the worst in us, and it affects the relationships around us. And most importantly, it affects this relationship right here with the Lord. Um, when I look at the book of Philippians, though, um, th- you know, I love this book. This is such a different tone. Not that, that the Corinthians isn't a great book. and Galatia, it, Paul's tone is completely different here. This is a great church, the Church of Philippi. Um, the main theme of the book of Philippians, um, it's, it's, the main theme is, is joy as he writes to this church. Um, you know, it's a good church, but it wasn't a perfect church because there is no such thing as a perfect church because when we walk inside that church, it's no longer perfect because we are imperfect people. We come together to worship the one who is perfect. But man, there are just some blessings, some privileges. When I, when I was studying this book, I just, it just reminded me of Grace Church. 
and how grateful my wife and I are to, to belong to this body and the joy we have of serving here and, 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 and just um, getting to see what you guys do for the Lord. Um, Paul starts naming some of those privileges and blessings of belonging to a body in chapter 2, verse 1. He says in verse 1, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, your translation may say, since there is encouragement in Christ, right? Grace Church, is there any encouragement by being in Christ Jesus this morning? He says, if there is any consolation of love, Grace Church, has the love of Christ made any difference in your life? Is there any fellowship of the Spirit? How about this, Grace Church? Did the Holy Spirit, did it live inside of you, and do you have fellowship with God through the Holy Spirit this morning? If there is any affection and compassion... Y'all, is, is, is our hearts filled with compassion and love for one another in here this morning? And I'll say yes. Praise God. That's, that's, that's one of the blessings of belonging to a, a, a body. And then he goes on to say in verse 2, then make my joy complete. There's one more thing I want you to do, great church. Be of the same mind. Maintain the same love. Be united in spirit intent on one purpose. The church at Philippi, the, the, these believers brought a lot of joy to Paul's life. I mean, I, I think of, of Lydia. You remember Lydia, the, the, the seller of purple? That's where the church met, in her house. Uh, I think of the Philippian jailer who gets saved, him and his entire household. I think of the, little, the, 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 the lady that was demon-possessed that Paul sends the, the demon out of. I'm thinking of probably Dr. Luke, because Dr. Luke was the, the pastor of, for the first six years for the Church of Philippi. Uh, a great church that, that when Paul thinks about the, the partnership of, of, with them in the gospel, it just brings joy to his heart when he's praying for them. That's what it says in chapter 1. This church was, was healthy, it was strong, it was generous, it was hospitable. Uh, it's becoming a model church for all these other you know, letters that he writes. But it experienced one minor problem. There was, there was two women in the church who were bickering and causing disunity in the body. Their names are Euodia and Syntyche. I get that in, in chapter 4. Paul actually calls them by name and says, I urge Euodia and Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Now, these, these, two, these two ladies, they're believers because they, they, they have partnered with Paul for the advancement of the gospel in the past. And, and what strikes me about this letter, that's why Paul wrote it. It's a thank you letter that he's writing because they had given, he's in prison while he writes it. And it's, when one of the members from his church comes, he gets really sick, and as he's going back, he recovers, and he sends this letter as a thank you letter to this church, and he's addressing, he's commending them for all the things that they're doing, and then addressing the one issue that they have, which is disunity in the body. And what strikes me is Paul doesn't tell us exactly what happened here between Euodia and uh, Sentici. Um, he doesn't take sides. He focuses on the solution which is the whole purpose 
and point of chapter 2. He brings out this word that I think that he even coins. It's like uh, Romans abhor this idea. Greeks don't even have a word for this. And it's this word we call humility. In verse 3, he says, With humility, consider one another as important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. And so Paul's point here, y'all, is to experience the blessings of being in a church community. We must be of the same mind, demonstrate the same love, have the same purpose, have the same attitude as Jesus. So this morning I want to speak to you on the subject of how to have an attitude adjustment. Because I don't know about you, but when I'm down, when I'm discouraged, when I'm grumpy, when I'm having a pity party, you know what gets me out of it? It's refocusing on Jesus Christ. It's putting the gospel at the center. It recalibrates my attitude. It's a great church this morning. I want us to look to Christ this morning. Let's fix our eyes on him. Let's renew our minds in the light of his mercies. Read with me and starting in verse 5. It says, have this attitude in yourselves. You might want to underline that word attitude. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who as he exist, already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So how can we have an attitude adjustment, Grace Church? I think first by reviewing the, conde the condescension of Christ. Um, Dane asked me the, the other day, did you spell that right? <laughs> what is the condes condescen condescension of Christ? I can't even say the word. Um, think the opposite of the ascension. Right when, when Jesus ascends into heaven. The condescension of Christ involves the darling of heaven leaving his throne to become a baby. It's what we, we celebrate at Christmas with the incarnation. It's the steps downward Jesus took coming from heaven to earth. The, it's describing that the one who hung the stars in the sky now lays in a manger. It's describing the event where the Ancient of Days was born. Just blows my mind. And in verse 6 and 7, it's clear that, that what separates us from a lot of different, I wouldn't say denominations, I would say cults, because when they start messing with the person of Jesus Christ, that's primary doctrine, you can't do that. When you start messing that and saying Jesus is a created person, or he was the Archangel Michael, and now he's, now he's the Son of God, you know, he always existed in the form of God, is what it says. The eternal God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word is, was, is God. 
He's the exact representation of God. He is the image of the invisible God. There was never a point, of time, a point in time where Jesus did not exist. It says that he was the form of God, and that word form, it, it means that's who he is. His internal nature was God, the great I am. But what, what changed is the eternal God wrapped himself in flesh. And what his uh, condescension means is he emptied himself of some of the privilege that he enjoyed and the rights he had as God. And when he left heaven and came to earth, like, like his riches. I mean, he left a place where they used gold to pave streets. He, 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 he's not born in Rome or Alexandria or Athens. He's, he's born in insignificant Bethlehem in a manger and a horse trough. All right, uh, he is has poor parents who have nothing. Who who he and, and as he you know grows up, has no home, no place to lay his head is what it says. He laid down his riches. He laid down his his glory. He put a veil over it. Where where Isaiah describes him as someone who had no appearance of him that we should be drawn to him. Uh, he put, he put a, a veil on it. It comes out at times like in the transfiguration. But he put a veil over it. He wrapped it in flesh. And he went from the highest place to the lowest place. And so what I want us to do this morning is to focus on a, a bad day in the life of Jesus Christ. And to see his attitude during that bad day. I want, to see, I want us to see Jesus' attitude as he serves others. Look at in verse 7. It says that he took the form of a servant. Now I believe Paul is talking about what Miss Rebecca read this morning in John chapter 13. Where the God who is on the throne in Isaiah 6 that Dane preached last week comes to earth and takes his clothes off and puts a towel around his waist and washes feet. It's, it's, it, it, there, 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 when you come to Grace Group this week, we're going we're gonna to talk about this hypostatic union. And I only say that because of Colin Dollar. But we're going to dig into Grace Group a little bit of what it means to be 100% God and 100% man. Because as his nature, he's fully God. And then he has this, this other nature about him where he is the suffering servant. And it said that he took the form. It uses the same word as it used when he, he was, he was all already existing in the form of God. It says it again, he took the form of a servant. That in that 100% godhood, in that 100% manhood, he, his, 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 God, his, his 100% godness, he's fully God. And he took the form of, of, of God. And then in his man, he took the form of a servant. That's why Isaiah describes him as the suffering servant. That's who he is by nature is what I'm trying to get at. By nature, as his manhood. And so in John 13, no doubt in my mind, this is the greatest example of someone humbling themselves and serving others. Found in this chapter right here. 
And it's not because of what necessarily he does. It's when he does it. Do we understand that John 13 is less than 24 hours from where Jesus is put in a tomb? It's not what he does. It's what he does and when he does it. What would you do in the last few hours you had on this earth before your death? What lost person would you go witness to? What relationship would you try to go mend? You know what Jesus did? He gathered his disciples for a last supper, and he washed their feet. And that, makes, that comes to life with me when I just got back from Brazil with, with Dane, and we wore flip-flops everywhere, and, and, and Perry's nodding his head, because we come back at the end of the day, and our feet were, like, just filthy. And that was one day. And, I mean, you take a shower, and the shower's black. Like, just, I mean, and, and, and so this is something that, you know, Jewish uh, servants, they would not even, it was beneath them. They didn't have to do this. This was like the lowest Gentile servant in the house. This was their responsibility. And that's what Jesus does. Puts like a towel around his waist and washes, washes their, their, their feet with the water that he made. And it's not that he's um, trying to put on this show of fake humility. It's because of who he is. He's taking an interest in others and putting them more, like they're more important than himself. It's because of who he is. And in the shadow of the cross, Jesus washes feet. At some point, I don't know if all, it's all 11 or several, you know, you got to love Peter. Because he's like, Jesus, are you going to wash my feet? No, I'm just going to wash the other 11. I'm not, you know. And, and, and Judas, I mean, uh, uh, Peter says, you will never wash my feet. And I appreciate that. Because that speaks to, to me, and I know there's some, probably some other people in this room that like to serve others, but they don't like anyone else to serve them. I, don't, I think it's a pride thing in me. That's Peter. You're not going to serve me. And, 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 and so then, you know, Jesus says something, and, and, and Peter, you know, he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand it. I, I'm doing this, but you'll understand it later. And, 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 and Peter, Peter's like, you're, you're never going to wash my feet. And so Jesus says, well, then you're not going to have any part with me. And Peter's like, okay, wash my whole body. And, and, and Jesus' point is found in verse 14 of John chapter 3, 13. He says, So if I, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. In verse 34, he says, I'm giving you a new commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Grace Church, you want to be the type of believers who want to be served or to serve others. When I, when I think about Grace Church, I am so, I, there's so many servants in here. I, I, I mean, I was just kind of preparing. I was thinking about, I don't mean to leave anyone out because I can't, I can't you know, pick on all of you at the same time, but I just, with, with, with Sandra and Perry and what you guys did with the concession stands and 
you know, all these Grace Kids servants back here loving on other kids that aren't their kids. So, and I just thought about how Austin got to hear the gospel because of y'all and surrendered his life to Christ because of that. And now I see his wife next to him. I mean, it's just a beautiful thing when the people of God um, get it, that it is better for your soul to give than to receive. It's better for your soul. You have more joy in your heart when you're that type of person, that you're not a taker, you're a giver. And, 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 and my goodness, I can just bring out so many of y'all who, ho- who host grace groups and cook every week, to, to, who, who people that, that just uh, pitch in and, and do what they do with, with uh, growing in grace and, and so on and so on. Bless you. Because it brings joy to the leaders here at Grace Church when you see a church get it. Because I, I can promise you the disciples right here did not get it. Okay? It says in Luke chapter 22, right after Jesus washed their feet, you know what the next thing they do? They start arguing who's the greatest in the kingdom of God. Whew. Notice... Uh, and, 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 and y'all, I need to say this carefully because I didn't really get it till I was 34 years old. I'm 42 now. I didn't get what John 13 is saying until I was 34, and I've been a Christian since I was 16. Notice, you can't say you love someone with just by saying words. All right? Jesus doesn't even say anything. You know what he does? He takes off his clothes. And then he uses all these action verbs. Jesus rose, Jesus laid, Jesus took, Jesus poured, Jesus washed, Jesus wiped. To love one another, it means love is a do word. Love is an action verb. It's not a feeling that we have inside of us. It's, 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 you can't just say, I love my brother, and then let them starve to death. You actually have to, there's action behind it. And, and, the, and the crazy thing is, all 12 disciples are there. And Jesus already knew what Judas was going to do. And, and, and Jesus washes Jesus's, or Judas's feet. And it's as if Paul is saying to Yodia and Sintichi, did Yodia do something worse to you than Judas did to Jesus? Is that why you guys can't forgive one another? God gives... Lost people, in verse 35, permission to identify those who are his by how they love one another, y'all. And I had to go through a church split to get this, by the way. Let me say that again. God has given permission to a lost world to identify those who are his by how they love one another. And that means is how they take an interest in others, how they put other people first. That's people that you like. That's people that you don't like. That's people that are easy to serve. That's people who are not easy to serve, like Judas. So for the good of our own souls, for the good of the unity of the church, for the good of our witness before a lost and dying world, 
We should want to know how we can pursue this thing called humility when we have strife in our relationships so we can exhibit the same attitude that Jesus exemplified. Because lost people, they're watching. They're watching and they, and they see you know, me and Sarah and how I love her and how I do what I did. And they see, that guy's a follower of Christ. That's why I don't go to church right there. Not only did Jesus empty himself by becoming a servant, he he emptied himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, is what it says. Um, In verse 8, I think Paul is now referring to the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Jesus emptied himself by becoming obedient to the point of death in the Garden, right? Right? So you, you, you're familiar with what happens. You remember Jesus, is, he's deeply distressed. The scripture says he, he's in agony. And he prays three times, Father, if possible, let this, pa- this cup pass from me. And he began to, to, to sweat blood, is what it says. It's actually like a, a, a medical issue where you're under so much intense stress that the capillaries will actually rupture. And then, and then it comes out of your sweat glands. The blood does. That's what's happening with Jesus Christ in the, in the garden. Three times he prays. And what's the father answer? He doesn't. He sends an angel that strengthens him. But Jesus is, the last thing that he says in that prayer is, but not my will but your will. And you begin to see the attitude of of Jesus on this bad day. Not my will, but your will. It's in complete submission to the Lord. His mindset was on the mission of God first. And so we can have an attitude realignment, an attitude adjustment when we review how Jesus consented down from heaven to earth. But then also, we can have an attitude adjustment by when we reflect on the cross of Christ. And what else I want to see here is not Jesus' attitude when he serves others. I want us to see Jesus' attitude when he saves others. Notice, notice when um, this mob takes him from the garden with, with torches and, and swords and you know, he comes, he comes out and, and meets them. He knows they're looking for him. He says, who are you looking for? And they say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. And when he says that, they all fall backwards because some of that glory just comes out. It's like he has to let, him, let them arrest him. And they take him before this powerful governor named Pilate, y'all remember. And, and Pilate is listening to all these false accusations being brought against Jesus. And he turns to Jesus and he's like, do you hear what they're saying about you? What do you have to say to, your, what do you, what do you have to, say to defend yourself? Notice how Jesus does not defend himself. He doesn't say anything. He's an innocent man. He doesn't say anything. Because in Isaiah 53, written 700 years before this, 
It says he was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to a slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before his shears, so he did not open his mouth. Pilate's wife even tried to warn him, hey, don't, 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 harm any, don't do any harm to this man. He's an innocent man. And, and what strikes me is what Jesus doesn't say. He let, right here. He, 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 he doesn't defend himself. He puts his privileges down. He puts his rights down, and he remains silent. He left vindication in the hands of his father. We can see how uh, uh, Jesus' attitude was when, we, uh, when he allowed them to disfigure him. It was the time of this festival, and, and at this festival, the custom of, of, of Pilate was to release a prisoner every year. And so he goes and gets this evil man named Barabbas, and he brings Barabbas out, and he asks the people, the mob, who would you want me to let go, Jesus or Barabbas? And of course, we know what, what, they, what they want. Release this e- evil man, and what do you want me to do with this guy? And the one who the angels are crying out, holy, 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 this mob is crying out, crucify, crucify, crucify. And so Pilate brings them to his, his Roman soldiers, and they begin to just beat him and torture him until the scripture says you can no longer even recognize him. You couldn't even recognize him. Plucking out his beard, putting on a crown of thorns, and, and, and hitting, beating it in his head with a, with a uh, rod, getting the cat of nine tails out, Ripping his flesh off his body. It's a bad day. And as Jesus is walking to Calvary, he doesn't even have the strength to to, to carry his own cross. They have to get this guy named Simon to carry the cross for him. And it says that Simon is carrying the cross, and Jesus is walking in front of him, and he sees some women weeping for him, and he turns to him, turns to them, and he says, Don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves. Weep for your daughters. Because even in the midst of this bad day, his attitude and his mindset is focused on other people. I want us to see Jesus' attitude when he's on the cross. And we look at the form of death he died. In verse 8, it says, even death on a cross. The Romans, they came up with the worst way in ancient history to kill somebody. It was a way to maximize the most shame someone could endure and the most pain someone could endure for the longest period of time until they, they suffocated. That's what crucifixion is. The Jews had to uh, believe that if you were crucified, that you were cursed. If you were a Roman citizen, you could not be crucified. That's how bad it was. That's why Paul was beheaded and not crucified. And, and y'all, the scriptures say they, 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 they stripped him naked and they casted lots for his clothes. Do you realize that? That Jesus was crucified naked because they wanted to shame him. They put a sign over his head 
calling him the king of the Jews and bowed down to him, mocked him and said, if you're really the son of God, come save yourself, come down from there. They mocked him. And you know what, what broke me, Grace Church, when I was studying this? I want to be more like Jesus because I really am not. I've got a long way to go. As they're doing this, because someone, someone like says something mean to me, makes fun of me, man, I'm going to throw punch them. Right? I want to, you know, if someone cuts me off on the road, I don't think, bless you. <laughs> Jesus' response to those torturing him and mocking him is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And that's not me. You get cussed out, someone with the mind of Christ responds with a soft answer. Because that's what God's word says. A soft answer turns away wrath. You get struck in the cheek, someone with the mind of Christ offers the other cheek. This is like big boy Christianity, y'all. This is where I'm not. Someone takes your, your coat. You know what Luke 6 says? Give him your shirt. I'm not there. And as he's dying and as he's got nails, pierced through his hands, his feet, and he can't even catch his breath. He turns to his disciple, John, and he says, this is your mother. He turns to his mother and says, this is your son, because he's still focused on other people. His mindset, his attitude, when he yells out, it is finished, is on completing the mission of God that he sent him to do. And when we focus on the gospel, what you do is you get a church that is of one mind, one purpose, one love, because all of a sudden, no matter our circumstances, the gospel puts things in perspective. It's a whole new lens to look through. Like, why do we go through fiery trials? Like, why do we go through painful moments and suffering? And, and in verse 30, in chapter 1, Paul tells us that it has been granted to you. It's the gift, if it's granted, by the way. Not only to believe in him, but to suffer for him. It's a gift. Why? Because he's trying to make you look more like his son. But, but, but painful situations come our way, and we're like, oh, no. And we're prone to strike back, and we're prone to defend ourselves, and we're prone to throw in the towel, and we lash out at each other, and, and we try to get even and throw pity parties, and we grow anger and, angry and bitter at God even, and ask him, well, how could you let this happen to me? When we know the answer, because I want you to look more like my son. Let me be really clear what I think God is saying in his word to us this morning. And what I hope Euodia and Sintichi understood 2,000 years ago. You want to know why you have a fractured relationship with another believer? 
even though you both are partnered with me for the sake of the gospel? I think Paul's answer is because your priority isn't the mission of God and your priority isn't other people. Your priority is yourself. And that hurts me because it's true. That's why I come home after a bad day and have a bad attitude because it's all about me and what I want and what, what happened to me. It's because I don't have the attitude that Jesus had and commands us to have and rather possessing the mind of Christ, I'd rather give people a piece of the mind that I do have. And Paul is telling us, do you know what humbling yourself looks like? It's emptying yourself. It looks like giving up your rights and putting God's mission first and putting the good of others second and then looking after your own interests third. That's what joy really is. It's this acronym that stands for J, Jesus. O, others. Y, yourself. And people that understand that, they have so much more joy in their life. Paul says, look at Jesus. He made himself of no reputation. He laid down all the privileges that were his in heaven, all the rights that were his. He, he emptied himself. And the mind of Christ is, is an attitude that says, I cannot keep my privilege, my rights for myself. I'm going to lay them down for the glory of God, for the good of others, and for the good of my own soul. And that what forgiveness really is? Forgiveness doesn't make you any better. It actually makes you worse off. It's like drinking poison and thinking the other person will die. It's actually good for your soul to forgive. In Grace Church, God, I can't emphasize this enough, he loves humility. He loves it. It draws the gaze of God. It draws the favor of God on your life when you humble yourself. James 4.10, it says it this way, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. There's a spiritual principle I want you to write down on your, in your guide this morning, if it's not on there. It says, humbling yourself draws the gaze of God and the favor of God on your life. And those who suffer for his sake with the mind of Christ will be exalted in the presence of Christ. Hey, you've been hurt by somebody? You're dealing with a lot of conflict in your marriage? You have a difficult person at work that you just... You, difficult? I want to urge you to live in harmony in the Lord. Let go of your rights. Let your vindication come from Christ on, on that day because those who humble themselves in the presence of the Lord, it's a promise. He will exalt you. He will. When, when, when the Lord says, I will do something, you can take it to the bank. He will do it. And so Hebrews 2.12 says it this way. I will proclaim your name to my brothers. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing your praise. Matthew 5, verse 11 and 12. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Here it is. For your reward in heaven is great. Man, help me to think like that. I'd rather, instead of be right down here, I'd rather be rewarded up there. How do you know? How do you know if, if, if we humble ourselves, y'all, that he will exalt us. 
Well, it's because that's exactly what he's done for Jesus. Check out verse 9. For this reason. For what reason? The attitude that he had, the mindset that he had, because he humbled himself, because he emptied himself, because he put the mission of God first, because he put the good of others second. God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The last way we can, we can uh, have an attitude adjustment this morning is by rejoicing over the coronation of Christ. And if this can't change our attitude, y'all, I don't know what will. In, in verse 9 through 11, no doubt, Paul was referring to the resurrection, the ascension, the coronation of Jesus Christ. Few words should be more encouraging than our resurrected Savior has ascended to heaven and is on the throne today, right? The bloody cross, the empty tomb, and the occupied throne changes everything. The Lord who laid aside his glory in heaven and came to earth has now come back to heaven and has picked all of those things back up. And he is going to demonstrate just how glorious he is. There's this picture in, in, in Psalms of this event where Jesus ascends into heaven and is crowned the king. And it's in, it's in Psalm 24. And you don't have to turn it. I'm going to read it to you. It's going to be on the screen. But this is so cool. It says, lift up your heads. This is Jesus talking. You gates and be lifted up, you ancient doors that the king of glory may come in. And there's some creature on the inside that has the audacity to say, who is this king of glory? And Jesus answers, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle, lift up your heads, you gates, and lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of armies, the Lord strong and mighty, he is the king of glory. The God who laid everything down is pictured now as the king of glory. He's, he has all his rights, all his privileges, all his glories, and, and, and he's going to use them all as he walked. He has the audacity to walk up in Revelation 5 to the, the one who is on the throne and take from his right hand a scroll and open his seven seals and sit down at the right hand of the Father. He has now been exalted to the highest place. When he did that, every creature in heaven that has ever been made fell on his face. We write songs about it. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. God the Father has exalted Jesus by giving him the name above all names. Jesus was the name given to him at his birth. Lord is the name that is given to him at his exaltation. 
Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The, the, the supreme name for God belongs to Jesus. God the Father not only has exalted Jesus by giving him the name above all names, but he has exalted Jesus by giving, making him the king of all kings. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. I want to be there when Satan bows, don't you? When he breaks his knees with a rod of iron and he has to bow and say, Jesus is Lord, I want to be there. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Every, be, every knee will bow, Grace Church. And the only question is, will we bow down now in humility? Submitting our will to the Lordship of Christ? Treating him he, like he's our Savior but not our Lord? Because he's worthy. He is the Lord of our life. We don't make him the Lord of our life. We, he is the Lord of our life, whether we recognize that or not. God has made him Lord. So for the glory of God, for the good of others, and for the good of your own soul, let's live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. And let's stand firm in one spirit, striving side by side to have one mind for the faith of the gospel. Would you stand with me, please? Lord God, I thank you in your infinite wisdom, Father, how you didn't just say the words in heaven and stay there, but when you said you loved us, you came and you demonstrated that by how you serve us, by how you died for us. God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to have the same attitude and mindset that you had. God, I pray that we would bring glory to you, that we would when we trust that one day you will bring vindication, that you are the judge, you are the one who will exalt us. And so God, I pray that the believers in this room, that we would begin to store treasures up in heaven and not go after the things of this world and the rights that we have here. God, I pray, Lord, um, that more and more people would, 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 through how Grace Church serves, would realize that you are on your throne, that you are mighty to save, that you are the King of glory. And we worship you, Father God. We ask this in your holy name we pray. Amen.